You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Thank you so much. Let's take our Bibles, Acts chapter 8 this morning. Love that song. Thank you for singing that. Acts chapter number 8 in your Bibles this morning. And I uh, told you already, the title is going to be Carry the Gospel. And uh, we've heard that song. We see the phrase there. Then the song, just now, Carry the Light. And, and you kind of get what our focus is during this time. I was thinking about this today on my way to church. You know, I walk to church every day. And uh, I'm just a couple houses down here. And I was thinking as I came to church today that today might be the one day where no one wants to leave the church service. No one wants to leave the auditorium to face the heat. So I, I know it's even warm still in here, but uh, it's supposed to be 100 and, 105 is what someone, I heard someone say. I don't know. Surface of the sun temperature, but that's okay. Thank God that we got the air fixed a couple months ago, and uh, thankful for that, that those parts finally came in and, <clears throat> and all that good stuff. But um, I, I was just thinking about that kind of humorous thought this morning. I do want to say to our men, please, even if, uh, you know, even if you're not able to pay today, if you could get signed up for the Beast Feast, because we got to get account for the food and all of that, and I, really, I would really love every man to go, every teenage boy to go, every, my son Silas is seven, he's going, and, uh, and, and I, I would love to have you there, I think it's going to be a great encouraging time. It's just a, a meal and a service Friday night, a, a, a great meal. Incredible meal, a service, there's giveaways, there's prizes. The ladies are always asking me, why can't we go? And, uh, well, because it's called a men's beast feast, that's why. But uh, maybe we ought to open it up next year, I don't know. But the ladies, you, you have the Mother's Day luncheon, you have ladies' activities through the year. And, and, uh, but if we want to combine that, you know, let me know. We'll see and we'll, we'll pray about that. But, uh, but it's going to be a great time. And then, uh, of course, dessert and all that is, is included there. And, and the service, Brother Dan Carr, Pastor Dan Carr, he's been a pastor for years and years, and uh, he's just a great speaker. He's just a great man, kind and, uh, and a very humble man. I think he, he's really going to click with our fellows. And, uh, and then Saturday, it's, it's, we, give, we give away so many prizes and different things. We have games and contests. It's really awesome. So I hope you men will sign up. Have questions, come see me. If, hey, you can only make one night, let me know. Or if you need help getting there financially, we would love to help you do that. Uh, so let me know about those things, okay? And then one last thing before we get into the book of Acts here. And I'm looking around. There she is. It's Miss Esther Mata's birthday today, one of our staff members, our school staff. And uh, so we wanted to embarrass her thoroughly. And uh, she hates, she doesn't want public recognition. But that's her right back there in the corner. And uh, she's got a birthday today. So here we go. In your, in your best operatic voice or just normal voice, let's sing happy birthday to her. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Woo. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Esther. Happy birthday to you. And many more. All right. Congratulations, Esther. Way to have a birthday. Good job. Good job. All right. But I uh, hope you have a great day there. We all have birthdays, right? All right. Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8. Now we're getting to the uh, message today. But I want you to see uh, uh, the thought here that we're going to see 
out of this passage is probably not where you're thinking it's going to go. But uh, I want to look through Acts chapter 8 and see some things here that uh, I think would be a help to us and encouragement as well. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Now what's, what's that talking about? This is Paul. This is Saul is going to become Paul. He's not even saved yet. The next chapter is when he gets saved. But uh, he's consenting unto the death of Stephen, the, the man who just got killed right before there. And Saul was like, yes, kill Stephen. Uh, uh, you know, he was a disciple uh, of the Lord there. And, uh, and, and Saul was happy for that guy to die. And, and so it was, that was him before he got saved. And so that's what that's talking about. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed, to them, committed them to prison. Here's verse 4 is our theme verse for the month. Therefore, they, went, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, why did I choose that verse? Here's the interesting thing. So the gospel had gotten to Jerusalem, but it was kind of stuck there. So, so what did God use, or how did God get the gospel out to other nations or uh, other places? Persecution. Persecution came to the church and caused disciples of Christ to spread out. But they didn't just leave. They carried the gospel with them as they went. And as they carried the gospel, the gospel got to more places. And uh, so just a couple quick questions. Well, well, how can we carry the gospel? Well, you can carry the gospel by carrying gospel tracts. It's got the gospel on the back there. Though you don't need a gospel track, you can carry it even on your phone. Do you have a Bible on your phone? You can have the gospel there. You can carry it in your heart because it should be there if you've been saved. You carry it with your mouth. You speak it. You can tell people the gospel. There are websites, like our website has a, a portion of it that's uh, uh, relegated for the gospel message there. There's literature. There's a lot of ways we could carry the gospel. The important thing is that you do it, not how you do it. How about where do we carry the gospel? We carry the gospel to your, carry it to your home. Make sure the people in your home have heard the gospel. Carry it to your workplace. Carry it to your neighborhood. Carry it door to door out soul winning. Carry it to church. There's people here today that are not, that are, that are not saved or maybe don't know Christ as their savior. Uh, carry it to your friends. Carry it to your family. Carry it everywhere. That's the thought. And so when we're talking about this, I, I want to show you Philip. Philip in the Bible, and there's two little stories here we're going to look at about Philip, and I want to explain where the message is going, but let me pray first, and then we'll jump in, I'll explain it. Father, bless, I pray this message, and uh, I pray you'd help me to get to where I, I, I need to be, I pray in the message, I pray that you'd speak with us, Holy Spirit, and that your power would be evident, your presence would be evident upon our church today, upon our own hearts and minds, help us not to be resistant to the message, help us to be accepting of the message today from your word, and we love you, we need you, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was a kid growing up in Arkansas, my mom would take me, and some of you ladies that are maybe uh, older than, than 30, uh, you may have been a part of this too. I, I, we used to go to this place called Michael's. You know Michael's. We have one. It's like Hobby Lobby, but a step down, you know? Or it would be like Joanne Fabrics. How many of you know the Joanne Fabrics? You know, I think we still have one over here by the Lakewood Mall. And so my mom would, would take us kids to a Michaels or to a Joanne Fabrics. And you know what they had a lot of in those stores back in the day? 
patterns. <clears throat> patterns for dresses. You know, and so you'd go, I don't even think, are they called patterns? I don't know. But we would go as kids, and my mom would go, they had those drawers you'd pull out, and you'd flip through the patterns, you know, and pull, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, because I'm not looking for a a dress pattern, but my mom would be there 16 hours. That's what it felt like. I, I felt like it was 16 hours. I thought we got there when it opened. I thought we left after it closed. That's what it felt like. And really, like, that's how I learned to become a zombie, just following my mom around mindlessly. And I'm just, you know, and you bump into her occasionally because you're just, you're gone. Like, mentally, you're checked out. I, who remembers this? Anybody besides me? No? Like, four of us. All right, five, six of us. And, and, and so she would be looking for these, got to find the pattern. And you know how it is. We're there for several hours, and then we leave without buying one. <laughs> Just to come back and do it again and, and start the fun all over again. And I remember as a kid, my mom was like, we got to go to Michael's, or we got to go to Joanne's, whatever it was. And, oh, and then after, you got to watch them cut the fabric. That was kind of cool. Like, you know, it was like relaxing to watch them cut the fabric real soft. But that was like the only rewarding part. It wasn't like we're going to get ice cream. No, it was you're going to go, you're going to enjoy it, you're going to follow. You're gonna, and, and that's what I remember so much. I think most of my childhood was spent doing that. That's how I feel. But what was the, what was the thought there? Always looking for that pattern that you had to get. And, uh, and the Bible here shows us a pattern. And I want you to see the pattern, but it's going to be less painful for you because it's, it's, we're not just looking at patterns for addresses, okay? This is a biblical pattern here that I want you to see that happens. And ev- I'll just say this. Every soul winner in here, you'll recognize this pattern because it is a pattern that we still see today. It's a great example of what happens when we carry the gospel to those around us. Okay, so what is the pattern? I want to start in verse 5 here. I want to read several verses here, then jump to the end of the book. And I want to read these verses together, and then I'll give you the thoughts this morning. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Remember, the Jews didn't have dealings with Samaritans, so this is a new thing. So the gospel getting Samaria, that's a good thing. And preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Boy, I tell you, wouldn't that be great if if everywhere you went, everyone was just like, we all agree. Hey, we're all on board. Let's get saved. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Then it says, verse 7, for unclean spirits, demons, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Skip down, if you would, to verse 26. And the angel of the Lord, so this is, the, the, the in-between verses are about a man named Simon the sorcerer, and there's a whole story there, but it's not um, necessary for the, the message today. Verse 26, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. And read, Isaiah is the Old Testament way of saying Isaiah is there, the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. 
The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? That's out of Isaiah chapter 53, referencing a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would come. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, I ask you, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? So he's saying, uh, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's the message people need, Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. So kind of a miraculous thing there. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So, <clears throat> interesting story there. <clears throat> Excuse me, interesting story, what's happening there, how Philip... Uh, is preaching the gospel in Samaria. People are responding. People are getting saved. And then God says, hey, I want you to go over here now. And so he goes over and he finds this guy in a chariot who's a man of authority. And the guy happens to be reading the scriptures, which what a divine appointment that was. And I'm going to tell you, God sets up divine appointments for me and you too if we're on the lookout and if we're responding to the Holy Spirit. And so he sets up this appointment and Philip goes and he runs over to the chariot and says, hey, what you reading? And is, you understand what you're reading? And he said, I mean, I'm reading Isaiah, and, and how can I know except somebody explain it to me? I don't get this. Philip jumps in the chariot and explains it, and the guy gets saved, and then the guy's ready to, hey, let me just get baptized. And he said, hey, first you've got to believe with all your heart in Jesus Christ. Salvation comes before baptism. Baptism is not a part, it's a part of salvation in the sense that it goes along with it, but it does not require it for salvation. And then you see that he gets down into the water, he gets baptized under the water. There's no sprinkling, there's none of this stuff. Uh, He goes under the water, immersion, and he's raised back up. And when he comes up out of the water, he wipes his eyes and Philip's gone. The Spirit of God just takes him to another place. Now, I want you to see some patterns here of carrying the gospel. What do we see? What pattern do we see? First of all, I see spiritual responsibility. Spiritual responsibility. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Verses 4 and 5. And it says there uh, that they went abroad everywhere preaching the word. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So for some reason, Philip felt led, I suppose, to go to a place where the gospel wasn't. To go to a place that where the Samaritans were half, were half Jew, half Gentile. And so the Jewish people said, I don't want anything to do with these people. And they, the, the Samaritans felt rejected and ostracized. But when the gospel came and Philip had a choice, he realized there's a great responsibility to get to the people that have not heard. So he goes to the Samaritans and uh, to the city of Samaria. And then in verses 30 and 31, he, gets, uh, he hears this guy, sees this guy reading the scriptures. And he hears, hey, how can I, how can I understand except some man show me? And, Peter, and, and Philip doesn't go, well, I hope somebody tells you. Hope you find out one day. It's a complicated book. Nobody really understands Isaiah. No, he doesn't say that. 
He jumps up and he tells them the message he needs to hear. Jesus. Sometimes we don't, we don't witness to people sometimes because we're afraid of, well, you know, what if they ask me about Zechariah? Look, folks, what if they ask me about Zechariah? I'm going to be like, I don't know. Let me come back to you. You know, what I'm saying is the message people need is not the, the, you know, the explanation of what Zechariah means or what Isaiah means. What people need is the message of Jesus Christ. And what we're talking about here is there's a great responsibility. Somebody had to go to Samaria. Somebody had to go to, had to run up to the chariot to meet the guy who was prime picking to get saved. Somebody has to go to your coworkers. Somebody has to. Somebody has to tell and explain it to your neighbors. Somebody has to go. Jesus gave the great commission, but we might as well call it the great responsibility too. Because it is a responsibility of all of us. It's the greatest news in the world, the most important message you'll ever hear. And some people will only hear if we tell them. You know, it's not just in the Philippines and other places where people haven't heard the gospel. If you could believe it, there's people in Long Beach that have never heard the gospel. There's people across the street that have never heard the gospel. They're everywhere. And we have a responsibility. I read a story about President Harry Truman. And that back in that day, you may have heard the phrase, pass the buck. Someone says, hey, pass the buck, it means they're, 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 they're uh, shirking responsibility. It just means if responsibility comes to them, they just pass it on to somebody else. They're passing the buck. Oh, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's. But President Harry Truman on his desk had a sign that said, the buck stops here. What was he saying? He's saying, it's my job to be responsible. Responsible. Now contrast that with a story I heard about some men on a lifeboat. This is a joke, okay? It's not real. The Harry Truman story is real. So there's these two men huddled together on one end of a lifeboat, and they're watching three men on the other side of the lifeboat as they furiously bail water because there's a hole in that side of the lifeboat. And the two men on the other side say, hey, thank God that hole isn't in our end of the boat. Folks, they're in the same boat. Can I tell you... We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. We all share the responsibility of getting the gospel out. That's the first thing we're going to see, is that there has to be an accepting of the responsibility. Just because you don't accept responsibility doesn't mean you're not held responsible. If you're a parent and you, don't, and you say, well, I'm not accepting responsibility for these kids, guess what? That doesn't mean you're not going to be held responsible. Well, I don't know the law, so I'm not even going to try to obey it. Guess what? You're going to still be held responsible. And so that's how it is. So you've got to accept the responsibility. But see, I see secondly, not only spiritual responsibility, then you're going to see the next pattern is spiritual resistance. Look at verse 7. Spiritual resistance. Verse 7 says, For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Out of many, doesn't say all, but the, the unclean spirits, these are, these are possessed people. These are demons possessing a person, and the unclean spirits are crying out. Why? They don't want to leave. They don't, they, they're fighting against the spiritual nature of what's happening. And can I tell you, <clears throat> when you decide that you're going to accept spiritual responsibility, you can expect spiritual resistance. When you accept spiritual responsibility for carrying the gospel, you can expect spiritual resistance. We felt it in our church recently. I've talked about it several times. There has been a lot of spiritual resistance because why? Because we're trying to do something. 
We're trying to get the gospel and get our people motivated and see the need to carry the gospel. We're having ministry expo. We're having seven missionary families in. We're having friend day and roundup Sunday. Hey, we're trying to do something. So what's going to happen? There's going to be resistance. There's going to be problems. There's going to be concerns and issues come up. This is a true story. I read a story about a Christian pastor on an airplane. And there was a man two seats over from this pastor on the airplane. And the man was thumbing through some cards that he had, some little cards. And the man was moving his lips. And so the, uh, he looked like a professor to this Christian pastor. The guy had a goatee. He had brown hair. He looked like he'd be about maybe 50 years of age. And, and so the leader looked at him and saw him moving his lips and thought maybe he was memorizing scripture or something. And he so, and thought maybe he's praying. And so he looked over at the man and he said, looks like you're memorizing something. The man said, no, actually, I was praying. And so the pastor said, well, you know what? I believe in prayer, too. And the man looked at him and said, well, I have a specific assignment. And the pastor said, well, what's your specific assignment? The man said, I'm praying for the downfall of Christian pastors. And the Christian pastor said, well, I would certainly fit into that category. He said, is my name on the list? The man said, not on my list. That's spir- that, that was a true story. You see, there's no people praying for the downfall of Christian pastors. Wake up. Come on. Yes, there are. There, there, there are, just, just as we are worship the one true God, and we're praying to, to God for people to get saved, you don't think that in America there are people that are praying to the devil and praying to whatever else false deity they can get so that Christians fall? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, there's spiritual warfare. And here's the thing. I don't think any of us need to be afraid of that because I'll tell you why. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And and we're talking about, look, I, I think it's an encouraging thing when you face spiritual warfare. Say, why? Because it means you're doing something. It means that you're making somebody upset. It means that you're actually uh, making a difference. I think it's a good thing. Spiritual resistance comes in the form sometimes of people. Even good people. But in the Bible, Sanballat and Tobiah resisted Nehemiah's work. How about uh, uh, with uh, Paul? Paul said Alexander the coppersmith withstood him. There's people sometimes that withstand you, and it could be good people, but I'm saying sometimes there's spiritual resistance in the form of a person. Sometimes it's in the form of a problem, maybe an illness. Sometimes it's a darkness that just comes into your life, a sudden fearfulness, and many other things. Because when you attempt great things for God, you should expect resistance. Expect it. It's going to come. But I also think you should rejoice. Because again, it means you're doing something right. And you're making the enemy upset, and that's a good thing. I heard a a pastor a long time ago say, if you wake up in the morning and don't meet the devil face on, it probably means you're going in the same direction. Think on that for a minute. Spiritual resistance. So when you accept spiritual responsibility, you can expect spiritual resistance. But can I say thirdly, there's also a spiritual response. A spiritual response. Look at verse 6. So Philip goes, there's unclean spirits who are fighting against him. But look at verse 6, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, we're seeing a response, but there's two responses here. The first response was Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. 
There's a spiritual response. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And verse 29, then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. And Philip hem-hawed around and kind of had to get his nerves up and then walked slowly over to him. No, he ran. He ran to the chariot. What happened? There was a spiritual response on Philip's part. He accepted responsibility. There's resistance, but Philip responds. And that was the important part there. Philip had to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We have to do the same thing. We have to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I've been talking to our guys about this in Sunday school several times recently. Is when God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Never ignore that. Obey every spiritual impulse. You want to see people saved? That's so important when it comes to soul winning, is that you respond first. You have to respond to the Spirit telling you to do something. Pray for the Spirit to lead you. There have been many times in my life where I have responded to the Holy Spirit's prompting. There have been times where I've gone and sat in my car and I see somebody at 7-Eleven and I'll get back out of the car and I'll go give them a gospel track. I've gone to doors before and knocked on doors and left and then thought, Holy Spirit speaking to me. You know what? I had to go back and try that door again. And I go back and try that door again. I've talked to people at the door and then left and thought, you know what? Holy Spirit's telling me I'm going to go back. And, and I go, excuse me, I'm sorry. I know I was just here, but I need to ask you a question. If you were to die today. And I, I've done those type of things before. I've walked past people on the street. Hey, how you doing? Just the other day. And I walked past someone. The Holy Spirit was like, why didn't you give that person a track? And so I turned back around. I had a stack of tracks in my hand too. And I went back and I gave the guy a track. I can, there have been many times I've responded, but can I be honest with you? there have been many times where I didn't respond. There have been many times where I ignored the Spirit. There have been many times where He's prompting me to do something. I'm at a drive-thru. I'm sitting there in the drive-thru and I see the person coming up and I'm like, well, they're going to be handing me my food, Lord. And, and I, how am I going to, that's going to be awkward. And, and, you know, and then they get up there, they're handing me the food and then I'm looking for the gospel tracks. I didn't get it ready. And then they hand me the food. I'll see you later. They walk. That's happened to me. I've waffled back and forth before in cowardice between uh, witnessing and not witnessing. I'm, I'm just telling you. I've said things like, next time I'm going to get them. Ever do that kind of stuff? I have. Can I just ask you, guess which one of those stories I'm glad I did? And guess which one still convicts me to this day? I still get convicted thinking about I didn't give a gospel tract to that person when the Spirit prompted me to. It's like Philip not running to the chariot. And I'll tell you, we have to respond. We have to get into the habit of responding to the Spirit of God. And when we do, what's the second response? Once Philip responded and preached the gospel, the people responded. So Philip responded, and then the people responded. In verse 6 that we saw here just a minute ago, people were getting saved. In verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. So people are getting saved. Now, normally we don't see a response like Philip did. You know, he preaches to a crowd like everyone's like, oh yeah, we all want this. Hey, you know, I, 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 that's not the normal response. I'm sure when you go soul winning that not every door you talk to, people are like, absolutely, I want to get saved. Probably not how it happens for you and me, but, but it did get me thinking. It makes me wonder, do I underestimate God's power? Do I underestimate how many people really do want to hear? I think sometimes we do. I like here at verse 31. Verse 31. And he said, how can, I, how can I accept some man should guide me? How can I understand the scripture? 
and he desired Philip. He wanted Philip to explain it, that he would come up and sit with him. In verse 36, and as they were on their way, there, there came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What did hinder me to be baptized? What's happening? He's responding to the Holy Spirit after Philip responded to the Holy Spirit. We must respond to the Spirit of God. If you will be faithful to go and faithful to tell, you will find that there are people ready to get saved. If you will be faithful, you, you will be surprised that there are co-workers that are thankful that you would give them a gospel tract. You will find that there are family members who have been going through something and say, you know what, it's so funny you bring this to me right now because you have no idea what I think. You will find those things when we carry the gospel because what's that doing? God is preparing them to respond, but you got to respond. you got to respond. Get the gospel ready. You will get a response if you keep going, and, and there will be people that respond because you did, and spiritual response leads to spiritual regeneration salvation there will be people saved when you respond you will see fruit there will be fruit and, and sometimes the fruit is not seen here but you will find in heaven that there are people that got saved because of a gospel track you left on a door or one you left in a, in a bathroom at Stonefire grill or something you'll see people getting saved in heaven well how did that happen you responded when the spirit told you to do something now spiritual regeneration is a great point but it's not my next point I want you to see next here. Now, what happens? The pattern is this. There's spiritual responsibility. You accept it. Then you can expect the spiritual resistance. But then if you have a spiritual response, you respond to the Spirit. People will respond. People will get saved. Not everybody, but some. And then number next here, there's spiritual rejoicing. Spiritual rejoicing. Look at verse number 7 and 8. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and were, many were taken with palsies and that were lame and were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Why was there joy? Because they just got born again. They just got saved. Salvation, regeneration brings rejoicing. And then in verse number 39, look at this verse, verse 39. <clears throat> I know we're flipping back and forth. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Regeneration brings rejoicing. When I got saved at six years of age, I'll never forget the joy that replaced the fear. Even at six, the joy that replaced the panic of not wanting to go to hell, the joy that replaced the emptiness and the sorrow and the conviction, the joy that replaced that. And then immediately after that, the responsibility of, wait a second, I just got saved, but my dad's not. And so I ran out and jumped on my dad's lap and said, Dad, I just got saved. When are you going to get saved? That's salvation. That's salvation. There should be rejoicing. Look, if you got saved, or you know somebody did, and there's no joy afterwards, never rejoicing, maybe they didn't get it. Maybe you didn't get it. Because there should be something that replaced the emptiness and the sorrow and the sadness and the religion that you had. Religion is not salvation. Religion is religion. You can go to heaven without religion. What you need is Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm talking to people in church today, people that may have been in church for a good long while. And maybe you've been trusting in religion or trusting in something that you thought you had, but you better know that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
You better know that you've been born again. There's been something replacing the, uh, the emptiness inside. The joy, there should be joy. There's rejoicing not just on earth, by the way. There's rejoicing in heaven. There's, rejo- there's rejoicing here in this story. But can I tell you something? That when Philip, the, the eunuch, when he got saved, there wasn't just rejoicing there. There was rejoicing in heaven. I love the thought that you as an individual are so valuable to God and so valuable to heaven that all of heaven rejoiced when you got saved. That's how valuable a soul is to God. You are to God. But there's not only rejoicing on earth and in heaven, there's rejoicing now and there's rejoicing later too. There's rejoicing now and later. The life you live for Christ, the sacrifices you make, the cross that you carry. When you get to heaven and see your rewards, it'll be worth it all. When you see Christ, it'll be worth it all. You will be thankful that you did it now, that you got saved now, that you uh, witnessed now, but can I tell you, you'll be infinitely more grateful in heaven that you got saved and that you were a witness and you carried the gospel. So there's rejoicing. There's rejoicing. Sometimes we carry the gospel to our neighborhood and people don't see, people don't seem to rejoice about it. I don't, I, don't, I, you know, I don't go soul winning in a lot of neighborhoods. and I, I, I go soul winning to a lot of neighborhoods, but I don't, I don't often get one neighborhood being like, man, we're just so glad you're here. Sometimes it's like, get out of here. I have had many people in our city say, thank you for doing this. Like, really? And usually they go to another church, they've been saved, but their church doesn't do it. And they say, our church doesn't do anything like this. But I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven. Thank you for doing this. And keep getting the word out. Can I get you a water bottle? I get this frequently. People wanting the gospel to get out, but they're not doing it. And I don't want to be one of those. I want to be getting the gospel out. There will be people, and you'll go to some neighborhoods, and it'll be like, man, I don't think anybody here wants us here. But there'll be one or two. There'll be a couple. And there'll be some that after you leave their house and they've trusted Christ, or after you leave their house and they have that gospel track and they sit down and read it, they will be thankful. They will be thankful. And there will be rejoicing. There will be rejoicing. And I want you to see the last thing here. I love this point. I love this. I want you to see these, these thoughts. Just to recap, give you one last point, we're done. There must be a spiritual responsibility that you accept. It's your responsibility. We, we have to accept it. And there also, we need to expect spiritual resistance. It's going to happen. Then we see there that there's a spiritual response. We have to respond to God when he tells us to witness. Respond to that. And then when we do, there will be other people that respond. And then, when that happens, there's spiritual rejoicing. Not only here, but in heaven, you're laying up, and you're going to be rejoicing in heaven because of how you carry the gospel. So that's a great thing. So what's the next part of this pattern that we see? Look, if you would, at verses 39 and 40, and we close. Verses 39 and 40. And And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40. But Philip was found as at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And what happened here? Here's Philip has this amazing story. I mean, like, what, what, a, what, a, what a soul-winning story that would be. You know, you're telling me, how'd it go today, Philip? Man, let me tell you. I was preaching in a city... And, like, everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted salvation. There's a bunch of people saved. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. Jesus was being glorified. Man, amazing thing. God was working. And then, after that, you won't believe this, the Spirit took me to this place. There's this guy in a chariot. I mean, he's like, and he was like a big wig in Ethiopia. I mean, like, he was, he was 
like way up there. And I, the Spirit told me to run up to him. I'm running up to his chariot. I'm running up to the guy's chariot. He's reading Isaiah. I get to witness to this dude. He gets saved. Okay, this is a paraphrase, all right? But uh, I don't think Philip said dude. But, uh, you know, I get to go up to this guy. He gets saved. And then here's, here's the amazing thing. And then I'm baptizing him. Guy's in the water. I'm helping up out of the water, and then I vanish. I, like, teleport. And come back, you know, in another place. Here's what's amazing this to me. Philip, verse 40, he just keeps going. What I see here is spiritual repetition. What do I mean by that? He sees somebody saved. He doesn't just go, all right, that's my job for today. He repeats the process again and again and again and again. When he goes to cities, he's not calling people on the cell phone. He's not getting a megaphone. He's not getting on the public broadcasting station. He's, not, he's going to places. He's going to the synagogue. He's going to houses. He's going to the marketplace. And over and over and over again, he's doing the exact same thing. He's repeating the pattern. Every city he goes to, he accepts the responsibility. He experiences some resistance. But he responds to the Spirit. He sees a response. There's great rejoicing. And then he leaves and he goes and he does it again. You know what we're supposed to do as Christians? The exact same thing. Well, what happens if we go to a city or we go to a person and they don't want it? You know what Jesus told his disciples? He said, shake off the dust of your feet and keep going. What's he saying? Don't get discouraged by that. Leave it there and keep going. Repeat the process. Carry the gospel again and again and again. He's whisked away and he starts it. Hey, you, you feel that responsibility today, I hope. Why don't you accept it? And then, look, you're going to face resistance no matter how you live, so you might as well push through for God. You respond to the Holy Spirit when he leads you, and then people will respond to you in a good way. There will be great joy. And then you just got to do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Look, folks, how did I become the world's greatest guitar player? I'll tell you. I came, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> I wouldn't know how I did, because I'm not. But how do you learn anything? Practice. How do you get good at anything? Well, I'm just not gifted in this. You know, you know no, 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 no one's gifted. You have to practice. You practice, and guess what? When you get up tomorrow, you got to do it again. And the next day, you got to do it again. And then I, I need to repeat the process so many times that it becomes second nature to you to carry the gospel everywhere you go. Maybe the habit you need to start is every restaurant you go to, every fast food, whatever, you're going to leave a track in the restroom. Maybe that's how you start. Maybe every drive-thru you go through, you've got a stack of tracks, and just every time, I'm going to leave this with you, it's an invitation to my church, and you floor it and get out of there. <laughs> whatever you got to do. Maybe it's one track a day, and you, and you, you flick it at someone's car window. I don't know. you got to figure out something to get into the habit of spiritual repetition. So much of the Christian life is just repeating good habits over and over again. you got to get and read your Bible tomorrow. you got to get and pray tomorrow. Just good habits over and over again. you got to witness. you got to be faithful to church. You want to make it for God. It's just spiritual repetition over and over. And it's not always exciting, but you do it over again and over, you choose kindness, you go to church, you do this, you do that. Practice, practice makes perfect. I wanna ask you today, 
Is there a part of the pattern here that you're stuck on? Have you accepted the responsibility to say, God, I can't hide from it. I am responsible. And maybe you can take just one step more than what you're doing. I gave a couple examples. Maybe today you're, you're facing some resistance and you're trying to be a gospel witness, but everywhere you turn, there just seems to be resistance. Can I just encourage you to just keep pressing on? Maybe today it's your time to respond and the Holy Spirit has pricked you about, in your heart, about responding and telling somebody about the gospel or making a spiritual decision. I want to encourage you to respond. And then, what do you do? You just keep repeating the process. Our Father, I thank you today for, this, for the word of God. I pray, Lord, today that there'd be a host of people here that we would all accept this responsibility. We don't have to reach the entire world, but we have to reach the people that we come in contact with. We've got to reach the people around us. God, help us to accept that responsibility. God, when resistance comes, may we, we have faith in the one that is greater than the one that's in the world, the one that's in us, our, our Savior. I pray, God, that we would respond when you speak to us and that we would see fruit even in this world. I pray that we'd rejoice over being obedient and seeing people saved, but God, I pray we'd also just continue keeping on, keeping on. Our heads are bowed.